one thing happens to six different people and they could all feel different about it. They all go off to war and they all feel different about it. Why do they feel different about it? Because how you feel about it is up to you. And what that means is not that you can create your own narrative out of nothing. You have the reality, you have the ability with no training to shape your reality. What it means is that your reality is determined by how you interpret, process the impressions. Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros. And just a little bit of housekeeping before we get this conversation underway. Michael and I are updating this podcast to a weekly schedule. We'll be aiming to release new episodes once a week, as opposed to our previous twice-weekly schedule. That frequency will be more sustainable for us and also will enable us to focus our energies elsewhere in the STOA ecosystem, because since, of course, we also have the mobile app, courses, newsletter, and so on. As always, reach out to us with any feedback and such. And uh, that's it in terms of updates. Here is our conversation. Today, we're going to be going through an objection to Stoicism, both a theoretical and a practical objection, I think. Both of us have been reading through Epictetus's Enchiridion, a new translation and guide to Stoic Ethics by Scott Aitken and William O. Stevens, two past Stoic Conversations guests. And uh, they have this chapter covering objections to Stoicism, and we're going to be talking about one of those objections, what they call the practicability problem. Basically, I think maybe the impossibility objection is a is a, is another way to to state the the issue, the idea that stoicism is impossible. And Scott and William, they won't be around to defend themselves, but we'll be we'll be going through it anyway, and they will even have them back on to talk about any objections we have. But I think it's a it's an interesting one. It's well stated, and it is a common objection or difficulty people have with stoicism. Yeah, I think whenever we're uh talking about stoicism or whenever you take something seriously and direct your life around it, you should know the criticisms against it and you should have an answer to those and you should think carefully about them. Uh, so let's dig into this one. I think it's a common one. I ultimately don't think it's very compelling, but uh, you know, let's do our best to present it charitably and see if I can do a good job stating why I think it's, it doesn't succeed, why I think it's not a good criticism of stoicism at the end of the day. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, so we'll go to, we'll start by laying out the issue uh, and then state the argument, this uh, impossibility objection. And then, you know, go through some uh, responses. I think both Michael and I might have slightly different ways of responding to, to the objection. Maybe, maybe no, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So stating the argument, I think, there, there are different ways to to put it, but I think there are maybe two observations, two potential issues with Stoicism. And the first is that thought that many people have, which is that you cannot con- you cannot really control your beliefs, desires, or aversions. You can't control those things that Stoicism allegedly says you can. So if someone says, you know, don't think of a pink elephant, you can't help but think about it. That's some thought that just popped into your mind. And I think in general, you have beliefs, desires. Can you change that desire to not like a given food by willing it? Uh, you know, can you change that immediate reaction to a given stimulus? It doesn't seem like that's, that's always possible. So then there's that thought. There's not always a pause between stimulus and response. There's that well-known phrase, in between stimulus and response, there is a pause. And in that pause, you find your freedom. But you know, perhaps that's, a, that's just not always true. Some stimulus, some stimuli force you to have particular beliefs, desires, and aversions. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. And if you want, want to provide me, uh, an example of that, uh, this second point is that we cannot, we cannot believe that 
only vice is the only evil. So a key dogma of Stoicism is that virtue is the uh, is necessary and sufficient for happiness. You can say that as virtue is the only good. I mean, that's not technically correct, but it's basically close enough. Uh, and of course, the corollary of that is that vice is the only evil, which I think is fundamentally is just uh, correct, the right reading of Stoicism. And there's a uh, there's an amusing story that Cicero tells of a student of Zeno, the founder of Stoicism. Um, so you have this fellow Dionysus of Heraclea. He you know he tried to live by Stoic doctrines, but when he suffered through passing several kidney stones, he announced that he would no longer be a practicing Stoic because the pain of passing a kidney stone is clearly a bad thing. So that's that, and just a concrete example of someone cannot truly believe that vice is the only evil. They cannot believe that Stoic dogma, and therefore, is that you know, there's that sense that Stoicism is going to be impossible. You can't really control your beliefs or desires. Uh, you can't bring yourself to truly internalize Stoic uh, principles at the end of the day. What's your uh, thought at that that at first pass? Well, I mean, so there's that example of the Stoic can be happy on the torture rack, but we should change it. So the Stoic could be happy with kidney stones. Um, that's and everyone's like, well, I don't believe it. Sounds it sounds impossible. Um, yeah. So the it's the practic practicability problem. The idea is that if Stoicism is impossible in practice, then it can't be or you know, shouldn't be something you base your life around or something you aspire to. And the, the, the point here, trying to take this as charitably as possible, is that something like the sage, something like achieving happiness and stoicism requires certain uh, facts about the world, facts about our control over our psychology, facts about our agency in the way that we direct ourselves. And then the stoic advice is in response to those facts. So given that we're the kind of people that have control over our psychologies, these, this is the way you should live. And mm -hmm. so the, the idea would be if those facts are not true, then the ethical arguments of stoicism don't follow. Um, so it, 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 maybe it's not necessarily that, well, the man is not mistaken about pain being evil. Um, like maybe he is still mistaken. Maybe vice still is the only evil. but. The entire way Stoicism describes itself, this focus on the dichotomy of control, this focus on intellectual exercises, uh, this idea that virtue is knowledge, vice is ignorance, maybe these kinds of things all kind of fall apart if we're not the kind of people that have agency over our minds to the degree that the Stoic idea of the sage proposes that we do. Remember, the sage is someone who never makes a mistake. The sage is someone who never assents to something without first either suspending judgment or then accurately reflecting on whether or not it's true or false. It's a really high bar, but the idea is that for the Stoics is that it's conceptually possible. And I, I would say certainly conceptually possible, but practically possible. A human being mm -hmm. could do this, even if it would require the perfect, you know, all the perfect circumstances to come together, even if it would only be once every 500 years. A, a human can do this. And the argument is something along the lines of a human can't do this. I have lots of arguments against that or some that come to mind, but I think just first laying, laying that argument on the table as clearly as possible. And it does seem on the face of it true, right? Whether or not that it's true when you're a perfect Stoic that's impossible, it's certainly something that people that are progressing or practicing uh, come come up against all the time, right? This idea that we don't seem to have the control over our beliefs and emotions. The Stoics say that we do. And this idea that certain external things can actually force their way into our minds. So I think I would divide it into two camps. There's one, one, this idea that you can't control the internal. The example you gave, I can't make myself not like, the, not like a food I like or dislike a food I do like. I can't will myself to change some internal states. That's one thing. And then this idea that like, well, there are actually things that can break down the wall of the inner citadel. There are actually things that can force them way, force their way inside your mind. 
whether that's the pain of kidney stones. That's a, you know, it's a, it's a good example because it stands out, but you can think of other things, maybe other kinds of traumatic events, um, other kinds of, uh, you know, intense circumstances and ones that make you angry make you want revenge, maybe make you sad. This idea that there's certain things in life that are just going to break down that wall and maybe stoicism's good advice about traffic, but it's not good. But there's some things that you just can't, you just won't have control over. They're just going to be too powerful. That that's my way of framing it, and I, I think I think there's something to it. I think it's worth a response. Yeah, yeah. So just to one way, I've, I've I think that's well put, especially that distinction between uh, what you can will, what's under your control in that sense, and then the thought that some things are just going to overpower the stoic disposition. Some things are going to break down the inner citadel, uh, as you said. And one way to put this into argument form is the thought. And I think this is basically how Scott and William do it. Uh, it's something like, if you ought to live in accordance with the philosophy of life, you can do it. You know, So that's basically, ought implies can. You cannot live in accordance with Stoicism because we don't really control our beliefs, desires, or aversions. That's that point about internal, what it's possible to internally will. And we cannot believe that vice is the only evil. Uh, or perhaps something similar. That's that point about things truly overpowering the inner citadel, things forcing themselves upon us such that even though it has nothing to do with virtue or vice, we think that some things are truly evil, some things are are truly good. And I think, yeah, uh, I think you could do that. The I think you could do the good way too. I don't think it only has to be evil. You could give some example. You know, there's the example of the person with kidney stones, but then there's the example of somebody, you know, I don't know, eating eating some great ice cream and be like, can you really think this is not a good thing? Maybe you can or not, but I, I don't think the things breaking down the inner citadel just have to be negative, I guess what I'm saying. No, yeah, I think that's a good point. That's uh, either eating a good ice cream or... I think Stoics can uh, accommodate that to some extent. That's maybe a longer discussion. They're maybe taking a drug and not doing anything, you know, literally just lying there, but having yeah, yeah. some ecstatic experience would be another kind of... Yeah, pleasure, uh, right? Something yeah. like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so the thought would be, look, if you can't, live in accordance with philosophy of life, then you shouldn't adopt that philosophy. So you shouldn't be stoic because you, in the end of the day, you can't be stoic. Similar to the, sometimes people might argue against Buddhism because uh, at least some versions of Buddhism promote some idea of enlightenment. But if that enlightenment isn't possible, then it's an empty promise at the end of the day and it doesn't deliver. And in, indeed, the stoics themselves are often telling us not to want the impossible. Uh, there's that line from Marcus Aurelius, you know, why are you frustrated with shameless people? There have to be uh, shameless people in the world. This is one of them. It's impossible to live in a world without shameless people, and therefore you shouldn't be surprised. In a real sense, you should you know, embrace that reality, uh, work with it. And likewise, the th th someone might wonder, okay, given is if, if these if that premise that you cannot live in accordance with stoicism is really true, then uh, you shouldn't be stoic. Yeah, I love that formulation. Because I always think when you abstract stoicism out to its furthest extent, me at least, I think it's this idea that you should live in accordance with nature. You should live in accordance with the way things are. You should not put yourself at friction or tension with the way things are. And so in that sense, if the stoics got psychology wrong, if the stoics got the practical parts of moral development wrong, uh, then you'd be it'd be pretty unstoic to try to stick to them, um, in the sense that you'd be putting yourself out of accordance with nature, and maybe you can get these arguments. This is why people sometimes can find stoicism, like maybe someone making this argument would say those people that find stoicism difficult or judgmental or they feel ashamed of themselves when they're not being good stoics. Maybe a proponent of the uh, practic uh, practicability problem. I'm having trouble saying that one. Practicability. Yeah. That's why I call it the impossibility objection. <laughs> yeah, there it's you go. a cumbersome it's a, word. It's impossible to say. That's the issue with it. Um, shows itself. Maybe somebody would say, well, look, you're now you're experiencing this negative emotion because you're holding yourself to this impossible standard when really you should maybe go with the flow a little bit more and not hold yourself to something that people just aren't made to do or aren't able to do. Right, right. Um, I once had a conversation with someone who just went through a messy divorce. They had found stoicism 
And they asked me, look, is it really possible? Can I really become a, a sage, someone who is able to navigate through these moments with equanimity? And that's, an, I think, a conversation that this objection brings to mind because it was a moment that sort of showed the practicality of it, right? That's some you know, people do wonder, especially when they're in these really tragic situations, difficult moments. Can I transcend this? Is it possible to be, you know, like it's the kind of person from some stoic uh, stories where they weather uh, the death of their loved ones in a completely tranquil manner where they overcome uh, adversity to, you know, such an extent that it almost seemed like it wasn't there. Yeah. And it raises something, it raises an interesting point about the, you know, if the, if the Stoics use this metaphor of philosophy being kind of like a doctor's office where it's painful, well, the doctor's office is supposed to cure you, right? And so if you're, if you go into the doctor's office, you're, you're experiencing this pain, you're committing all this time to learning Stoicism, and then it's not curing you because it's teaching you a set of exercises based on premises that are false. It's teaching you a set of kind of a, a way of thinking about moral development that's based on a picture of the mind that isn't true, one where you, you have control over your beliefs, your desires, your versions, one where um, you're able, and then that other one is interesting, one where you're actually able to, because all that other stuff could be true, but if, you know, if you can't actually convince yourself that virtue and vice is the only good, we're, we're humans are just born imperfect. We're just born the kinds mm -hmm. of the people that can't actually maintain the belief that would make us happy. That's kind of tragic, but the reality of it would be we, we should probably differ from something that's just trying to force ourselves or diluting ourselves into believing we're being mm -hmm. you know, stoic sages. Yeah, yeah. That's well put. And I think there is a sense in which that second case of extreme pain, extreme pleasure is is more challenging than the what we call the you know this first issue this issue about do you have yeah. complete complete control so so let's move into some of these responses and i think my first move here which is an important one an essential one is that i think that the idea that stoicism expects us to have the ability to change in an instant is a mistake. So if we think about Epictetus's psychology, and he's probably the person who one could come away thinking that he has this view the most. You know, he praises cynic sages uh, in a sense that suggests you know, perhaps sagehood is is possible. Um, but and you know, in his psychology, we have that impression the world is presenting us with and then internally you know what's up to us well what produces beliefs desires and so on is our process of reflection and assent and we whenever we reflect we're bringing all of our past beliefs desires uh and such to that process or bringing them to bear on every impression. And I think e even though we have on Epictetus's picture, the power of ascent, we're only able to wield that with our powers of reflection and the impressions we're given. And because of that, you should not expect instant change, right? Because you're always going to be bringing your character to whatever situation you face. Yes, you can shape your character over time, but Epictetus doesn't think you can just rejigger your entire history, your uh, entire past uh, of judgments, desires, and so on. Yeah, you you don't ascent in a vacuum. You ascent as a person you the person you currently are. You reflect as the person you currently are. You can put in a lot of work to give yourself a leg up by being intentional, by reflecting on Stoic theory. But at the end of the day, you just are the person you are. And that can be a bit discouraging, but it also works the reverse way, right? If you're not the person to, if you're not a person who's quick to anger, you don't enter an, a, a situation involving angry, uh, involving anger or the possibility of anger. Um, 
with a 50-50 shot of being angry or not. You're like, you're, you're reflecting on the situation as the person you are, which is somebody who doesn't take things personally, isn't quick to anger, doesn't feel like people owe you things. That has positive benefits too. The downside is that it has consequences. You, you reflect as the person you are, as you said. Now, so when we think that we, um, when Epictetus says you control your beliefs, your desires or aversions, well, we have episodes on this. It's better translated as those things are up to you. And what's meant by that is that your beliefs, you have the beliefs because you assented to them. You assented to them because you reflected on them. So you, you caused them by bringing the person you are to bear upon your impressions, reflecting, and then assenting to them. Now, that doesn't, yeah, as you just said, it doesn't mean you can control them. doesn't mean you can snap your fingers, but they are up to you as in you caused them. And, and I think this argument is true. We don't need to necessarily get into that here through, through, through exercises, focus, the tension and effort. You can correct that process and reverse that direction of your, of your character as well. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that is, that's the first move to the impossibility objection, which is just that in the relevant senses, our beliefs, desires are up to us. We can change them. Uh, and stoicism doesn't entail, it doesn't mean that we can just uh, will, as, as I think, as you say, we, we can't, we don't just assent in a vacuum, we don't will in a vacuum. And in fact, although change in an instant may be possible uh, for some of us in some situations, it's exceptionally, exceptionally unlikely. That's related to the Stoic advice that you should expect people to be uh, less than ideal. You should often expect mm -hmm. them to be, uh, Marcus Aurelius, of course, in Meditations chapter two, expect people to be uh, ungrateful, surly, selfish, and so on. Why, you know, why not just expect them to act like sages because you know uh, that they, uh, we have a past histories of making vicious yeah. judgments. And that's why it's a safe bet to expect people to not be perfect. And why the Stoics advise, you know, things like don't go expecting Plato's Republic, don't go into the world expecting utopia. Yeah, another thing, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Another thing that this objection gets wrong, or at least the way that the, at least the, the way that um, Scott and William present it is that idea of, well, I can make you think things. Like, oh, don't think of a pink elephant. Now you did think of a pink elephant. That's just the, that's the quintessential misunderstanding stoicism, right? Because all you've done there is produced an impression. You can also blow a foghorn. Uh, you can clap in front of my face and I'll blink. You, you, obviously, people can produce impressions on other people. That's part of what it means to live in the world. What you can't do is you can't produce a belief without my consent, without my participation. So I can't say, believe there's a pink elephant in the room. And then everyone's like, ah, now I believe it. Shoot, you've caused it in me. That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. So yeah, people can create impressions. And sometimes impressions are little things that sit in your brain. Sometimes impressions are little jingles you get stuck in your head. But those are not beliefs. It doesn't become a belief without that assent, without that participation from you. Um, I, you know, I see here, there, there, there's some examples, there's some, in Stoicism, there's some counterexamples of things that do become immediate beliefs, things that you don't have control over. Um, Epictetus uses the example, I see put here, of, of, you know, daytime, try to believe that it's nighttime when you're outside and the sun's out, and the person goes, I can't, it's impossible. Some, some things do go straight to our beliefs, but the Stoics called those cataleptic impressions. They were impressions that were the kinds of things that were so, the truth of them was so self-apparent, which is not to say we can't, um, we can't begin to be skeptical of those kinds of things, right? We, I think, I think there is some practice that can happen there, but that's what's, that's what's going on there. The, and then the Stoics ultimately thought, whether you believe that's the case or not, that we are designed to have cataleptic impressions. We're designed to be the kinds of things that could 
that can easily and quickly believe things that are self-evident, mostly to do with kind of physical facts, right? Physical facts about the world, like daylight, that there's a person in front of you, uh, you know, that there's something flying towards your head, probably, uh, things like this. So I don't see that as, as that much of a problem either. Certainly not when we have the possibility of becoming skeptical about them if we think they're the kinds of things we might end up getting wrong for whatever reason. If you think about these kinds of forceful impressions, one case is they are uh, correct impressions, the, the daytime, or sorry, I should say that they produce correct beliefs. Um, and a, a daytime is an example of that. We look outside, we see the sun is, is there and so on. And then there's also the case where there are forceful impressions that uh, produce false beliefs. And you need to be a little bit a little bit careful here, but I think in, as as you're saying, if you have that possibility to apply skepticism to those kinds of impressions, then the issue is sort of thought of. Uh, similar to how we've been talking about uh, change in general. Often, these impressions feel so forceful because of the beliefs we already have. And then there's that question, can you wield skepticism well enough to you know, unprogram yourself to think that you know, some stimulus uh, is uh, true when in fact it's an illusion? Uh, and so on. So that, that's uh, there's there's something to say there. There's also, you know, views about, um, of course, this, the Stoics thought people could have damaged, you know, like rational faculties. So in a lot of these skeptical scenarios, that the, the cases that skeptics brought against Stoics, it might be better to analyze them in terms of the people not being rational or having, uh, you know, deficient rational capabilities. You know classic cases where you're being deceived by a demon or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I think you framed it really well, right? So it, it's hard to talk about this without getting into the second point, which is the second point we, we framed as like certain things can force their way into the inner citadel. Right. And then we said, well, there's, that seems to happen all the time. I go outside and it's daytime. I'm forced to think that it's daytime, or at least it seems like Epictetus is saying that. If somebody, you know, if I have kidney stones, I'm forced to think a bad thing is happening to me. It seems like an impression, an extreme impression is forcing its way, bypassing ascent, not allowing me to suspend it. And then the point that I was taking you to raise, Caleb, was um, that, look, because we just bring our current character to bear on a situation, some people might actually be forced, right? Um, I don't know. I think of like a young child maybe and they see a scary movie for the first time. They might actually be forced to think a bad thing is happening. But when you grow, grow older, you kind of understand what a movie is. You understand, okay, this can't actually hurt me. Then they're, 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 what was a overpowering impression no longer becomes overpowering. And you raise the Matrix example. You can do that around fact about the world. Like, you know, once you, once you realize, wow, AI image generation exists, there can be videos of people talking that aren't actually them talking. So you've gained information. And then what was a forceful impression? Well, that's that celebrity saying that thing can become a kind of a skeptical situation. I don't actually know if that's the case or not because mm -hmm. I know AI exists. I know this can be faked, right? Um, maybe like Plato's cave, right? If I only saw shadows, it was forceful. But now that I know there's this other thing, and then I think about that in terms of, and I'm just jumping ahead, but I think of that in terms of the kidney stone example, right? Which is maybe the normal person, maybe the progressing Stoic cannot help, but it can be true that, they, that it is impossible for them to not help but think a bad thing is happening to them. But does that mean that every human being cannot feel that way? Does that mean it is impossible for any human being to not think a bad thing is happening to them when they're feeling extreme pain? I don't think that's true. And then mm -hmm. the Stoic argument would just have to be something along the lines of, well, you're capable of becoming the kind of person that doesn't, isn't forced to think of bad things happening to them when they're going through a chronic, painful, I mean, kidney stones, I don't even know if it's chronic, but a painful physical circumstance. Yeah, hopefully right? it's not chronic. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, in that case, well, then, then then you got us. Then you got us. Then you're done. <laughs> um, did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense. Um, I think, especially with this, maybe one frame, one framing on this is to think of stoicism like other programs of transformation. So there's this story of Milo, the wrestler, famous Greek wrestler, um, and he got exceptionally strong. How do you do that? He, as a child, decided you know he's going to pick up a calf every day, and he did that every day until it was a full-grown cow. You know that's the story. And you can think at the very first instance when he's just starting that project uh, as a child, there's a sense in which you know he ought to be strong, given that he wants to be a wrestler. That's his goal. He's chosen that as his as his role, but he cannot achieve that overnight he could he can become strong but you know just because he can't at the moment you know as a, as a weak child deciding to become a wrestler doesn't require him to think something like oh because i can't be as as strong as a wrestler is at this very moment it's not something that i ought to become uh just he has to work through that uh, with the body he uh, has and build up that muscle over time. And then I think the Stoics have a similar view, except they urge us to think of the mind as much more capable than uh, we, t we uh, often t tend to think it is. And I think that's something that people who have really pushed themselves in other endeavors come to learn, um, whether it's uh, the Milo example or not. I keep going back to that kidney stone example. It's just cracking me up. Like there's, there's people push themselves in all kinds of endeavors. They climb Mount Everest, they die for eight minutes, but they don't, <laughs> there's no kidney stone competitions. <laughs> maybe there's, maybe there's just a type difference here. Um, but no, it's a great point. And I mean, we just need two terms, right? There's something about like current possibility and future possibility. And the Stoics think that we have a future possibility. We have that potential latent within us. Maybe they think that's impossible for some very, very sick or morally perverse individuals. But for you know anybody listening to this podcast, they think we have that kind of future possibility. So for you know the this this example, this this counter argument is kind of like somebody who can't run very fast, being like, "Well, I could never run a five minute mile, so well, I'm not going to start training." That doesn't make any sense. But they mean I could never run it right now, and it's like, "Well, that's not what I'm saying." I'm saying you could run it. You know, I'm saying, you know, like Milo, you could become strong. Which is just very, yeah, very persuasive for me. But but I do think a mistake people make because they want to read and be inspired by stoicism and then be transformed. But it's the sad reality of it is like just stoicism is a lot of work, right? It's takes a long time to become strong like Milo. And same thing with stoicism. Right, right. It's a lifetime project, of course. And I think the fact that you know, people have the same experiences, but interpret it differently brings to mind that question, you know, what makes their experience different? And for the Stoics, it is the interpretation essentially of the events. Uh, some people are going to find vicious battle a evil because they think it's not worthwhile. It's obviously painful. Uh, whereas others will interpret it differently if they think it's there is some overarching cause of justice that um, justifies uh, the battle. They may even see it as having some kind of mm -hmm. glory, right? That makes it not just not evil, but a positively uh, good thing. And then the question, this you know, the, the challenge for the Stoics is: all right, interpretation makes a huge difference. Now, make ensure that you're interpreting things correctly and ensure that you are uh seeing the world as it is yeah and i think that's just such a great example to just ground it in right like one thing happens to six different people and they could all feel different about it they all go off to war and they all feel different about it why do they feel different about it because how you feel about it is up to you and what that means is not that you can 
create your own narrative out of nothing. You have the reality, you have the ability with no training to shape your reality. What it means is that your reality is determined by how you interpret, process the impressions or the, the, this, the, in this case, the, the war, the fight, whether that's a bloody, useless, nihilistic event or something that was meaningful, something that was uh, glorious or something like this, right? So your, your response is up to you. That's a fact of the world shown that six different people feel six different ways. And then the other stoic point is that you can craft yourself to become the kind of person to respond to these events, if not certainly better, but they would say at, at some point perfectly, at which mm -hmm. by perfect just means accurately, right? And then suspend judgment when you can't. Right, right. I, so I think maybe if, if Scott or William wanted to push this objection more, they might say something like, well, take, take the Milo example. It's not true that everyone can become Milo. You know, Milo is an exceptionally strong wrestler. Some people, they're just not going to have the right body, the right genetics to be an exceptionally strong, capable wrestler. So why can't we see, say the same about people's ability, uh, abilities of mind, that they're structured? And so, you know, it's not what makes some painful experience good for one person, bad for another is interpretation. But what determines that interpretation is to a large extent, you know, the structure of their mind. And that's going to be determined by genetic factors, environmental factors, and so on, such that some people cannot become sages. So I, I have an argument for that or a counter argument. Um, let's hear it. <laughs> let's do it. You're going to have to listen to it. So I, I like to, to, to pull that back a step. There's this argument. The argument's like stoicism is impossible. And we spent the last 20 minutes saying, well, maybe it's not, or maybe the reasons you, you argue that's impossible aren't that good. But there's this other counter argument, which is just like, so what? Like just even if stoicism is impossible, what does that matter? And I kind of want to bite the bullet on it. I, I don't see, it's not, even if sagehood is impossible, even if we can't become Milo, I don't really see what, what that has to do with the way that I choose to live. I don't really see the negative consequence. And I think a lot of this comes from viewing this craft analogy, viewing living well as a craft. You know, if basketball coaches talked a lot about the best basketball player, the perfect basketball player, the fact that I could not become the perfect basketball player because I'm not seven foot, 280, it doesn't, it doesn't really have anything to do with me becoming better at basketball. And insofar as being better at basketball is worthwhile, I still just want advice about how to become better at basketball. And then if it's living well instead of basketball, if Stosin can help me live well, even if I can't live perfectly, I still just want to live well, right? Um, I suppose the counter argument there would be something like, well, it gets in the way if it gives you a bad target. Like if I start training not for my own body type, but I start mimicking the sage or I start mm -hmm. mimicking the seven-foot basketball player in a way that just doesn't help me actually get better. But I don't think stoicism does that. I don't think stoicism demands things that are unreasonable. I think stoicism demands of us things that are very reasonable, very practical, very grounded. And I, I pulled this example from Epictetus, which is like, you know, uh, you tell me if Epictetus is asking for something here that seems impossible. And he says here, this is Discourses, Book 1, Chapter 4. He says, so where is progress to be found? If any of you turns away from external things to concentrate his efforts on his own power of choice, to cultivate it and perfect it so as to bring it into harmony with nature, raising it up and rendering it free, unhindered, unobstructed, trustworthy, and self-respecting. And if finally, when he gets up in the morning, he holds in his mind that which he has learned and keeps true to it, if he bathes as a trustworthy person and eats as a self-respecting person, putting his guiding principles into action in relation to anything that he has to deal with, just as a runner does in the practice of running or a voice trainer in the training of voices. This, then, is the person who is truly making progress. This is the person who hasn't traveled in vain. And I think of that, and I think of the Stoicism is asking that. It's asking, you know, you wake up in the morning and you focus on perfecting your choices, focus on making good choices, 
you focus on bathing as a trustworthy person when you go to the bathhouse, eating as a self-respecting person when you go to the dining hall or the restaurant. And if you do that, it's been worth it. You've made progress. You've become better. That is not some abstract target. That's such a grounded target, right? Going back to my basketball metaphor at the risk of, you know, I know I'm not a very good basketball player, but, you know, if you wake up and you dribble a bit better, you shoot a bit closer to the basket, you know, this is somebody who's making progress. And that's what Stoicism is asking. I, I don't see there this idea of the sage messing us up. I don't see the idea of the sage giving people something that's like unrealistic in a way that's harmful. But that's my best, yeah, yeah. That's my best shot at it. Yeah, I think potentially as focusing on the sage c- could be harmful in the same way that focusing on an expert basketball player when you're an amateur can be harmful. But that could be true whether or not it's realistic for you to become that best basketball player. You know, skills mm-hmm. proceed instrumentally uh, at different times, different models uh, are useful. I think there are two ways to object to this argument. The One of the you know foundational assumptions is this focus on the sage. You ought to be the sage if you're stoic. Um, and then becoming a sage is impossible, therefore you shouldn't be stoic. One is to say that <clears throat> the sage is possible in the relevant sense. And then the other is to argue that Stoicism doesn't depend on it being possible uh, for you to be a sage or whether or not it, it, is, it is, in fact, uh, possible. And I think for whatever it's worth, the move that uh, Scott and William make is to say that you know, as, if you're a Stoic, you should uh, aspire to be a sage without thinking that you ought to be a sage, um, which is essentially just saying it's fine if you can't become the sage uh, in so many words. And the, the, the move you just made is similar to that move, which is just that you know, whether or not you can become a sage doesn't matter. What matters is that you can incrementally progress. Yeah, I think you could throw out sagehood and you've still got a perfectly functioning ethical system that works like a craft that you develop over time and get closer to, you get better at, even if perfect doesn't exist. One thing that we're not talking about here is the traditional Stoic view that you're either virtuous or you're vicious. They make this metaphor that, you know, everybody's drowning. Some of us are just closer to the surface of the water than others. And if you took this view, this idea that, you know, there's the people that are happy and then everybody's equally miserable. I thought this, I I think of this more of like a rhetorical stoic position. I don't think of it as something that it doesn't mean there's no value to progressing. doesn't mean there's no value to improving the craft. But if, if we, if we took that in the literal sense and we said like, you know, life is a binary, there's those that are happy and those that are equally miserable. And then you said it's impossible to achieve sagehood. Well, then you'd have a, a system of ethics where it's impossible to be happy and there's no point to do it. But th- that, that I think is something that like, this, the Stoics walk into. I think they walk into this kind of objection because they make those kinds of arguments or talk in that kind of way. But I, 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 I don't think that's the point of the reason the, the Stoics talked in that kind of way. I think that point was to not not think that you could have parts of virtue or parts of knowledge. It's connected to this idea that knowledge is an all or nothing thing. Mm-hmm. And it's also to not, uh, I think, be content with certain amounts of progress in certain kinds of, in some parts of your life and not others. Like that kind of thing, you know, like I'm going to learn stoicism so I can, you know, be more cool and collected when I scam people. <laughs> it's like you can't really apply Stoicism to one part of your life, but not to another. Uh, and so I think the Stoics were responding. I, I suspect the motivation of this kind of language was to respond to those kinds of ideas, not to say, you know, everybody's equally miserable except the sage of which none of us are. So uh, none of your work meant anything, right? Right. Yeah, I'm sympathetic to that, to that reading. Uh, 
as well. I think that's the right way to think about it. I think another point that is relevant here is that sagehood is not uh, the position of omniscience. The sage isn't someone who knows everything. It's the it's just the position of someone who can act virtuously in whatever situation they're presented with, and that means uh, not having some almost you know demigod type status, but rather you know doing your best in every situation given what is possible i think there's another another reading perhaps of sagehood that makes it more attainable yeah it's it, it, it's perhaps still unlikely to occur but when you read it as the kind of thing where you know maybe socrates was a sage maybe epictetus was a sage marcus Marcus is a bit complicated, but if you give it as the kind of thing that you can give to certain people, you know, just like experts of the craft, right? You can make basketball, you have people that are in the hall of fame. It's like, you know, they're just like, they're just good at it. They're just, they're just good at, at doing this thing at a high level. And the sage is just that person, the person who's good at it. I think the sage gets a bit weird because it's this idea of like never making a mistake. Right. Which is, which is not something you could ever say of any basketball player, right? There's no basketball player that never makes a mistake. So it doesn't become you. It's not you've reached a certain level of mastery that you you can't ever err. I think, and then that connects to some of this the Stoic idea about knowledge being um, reinforcing, right? Like because because this is what we're talking about, right? We're saying you bring your character to bear on an impression, but if you have a perfect character, you can't ever really assent wrong because there's nothing you're not bringing anything faulty to bear into the world. So you've got the objective thing that happened. You're not interpreting it in a bad way because you don't have baggage or false beliefs to give to give yourself a kind of a loaded interpretation the same way uh you know I might have a loaded interpretation that somebody um you know somebody is uh doesn't like me because I was bullied when I was younger or something, right? We bring our baggage to bear on the way we present these impressions, but the the wise person doesn't do that. So they get the objective event they represent it pretty accurately already, and then they reflect on it with their like perfect mind, and so it's it's a it's a it's a kind of a self reinforcing thing. I, I do want to be I do like I, we should say here that the Stoics do hold it to that high standard where they would never make a mm-hmm. mistake. Now whether or not we 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 change on that or not, but I think that's the weird part of sagehood because it's like, you know, who could ever do that, right? Pretty pretty hard. Yeah. But but another thing to remember there is to remember that of course that it's exceptionally difficult, but that that doesn't mean the Stoic knows uh, the positively right thing to do in every situation. The oh Stoic no stage. no yeah totally yeah it, it they can sometimes one avoids making a mistake by avoiding having any uh, false beliefs right so they might they might just be someone who like Socrates, really, he's you know, of course, the the fundamental uh, model for for the Stoics knows when he doesn't, uh, and then you know holds firm to his conviction when he uh, does know what he what he ought to do. So maybe maybe it's kind of like a, maybe a basketball. I, I keep trying to do these sport metaphors just to make sure I understand. Maybe instead of like a basketball player, it's like a rock climber or something, and the rock climber is the person who climbs all the walls or says, "I'm not going to climb that one because that's a bit too." <laughs> I'll hurt myself if I do. And it's like yeah. that level of mastery, not the person that can climb every wall, but the person who climbs many difficult ones and then knows when to stay to step out or knows when they need to ask somebody else. And as you said, yeah, you can one way to avoid errors is to just always know what to do, but another way to avoid errors is to really understand your own limits of understanding. And so right, the right. sage isn't sage isn't expected, as you said, they're not expected to always know what to do. Yeah. So yeah. Another example, of course, is if you think about games of chance. Uh, the sage as a poker player may not be the person who takes home the most winnings. First, because it, of course, it's a game of chance, but also they might not be the best poker player in the external sense. You know, maybe they're just, you know, limited by, uh, maybe some people are just in a real sense uh, smarter than they are. They have more of a social sense. 
but the sage as a poker player you know plays as well as they can given the body they have and of course the cards they're dealt i think is mm-hmm. another way to think about it yeah great point cool cool anything else on this um yeah, I mean, I'm be interested in people if you if you made it this far, interested to what what you think. Do you think the um, practicability problem is a significant issue or not? Is that something you wrestle with yourself? Is it? Do you think stoicism is impossible, but anyway, you know, doesn't matter? Or do you think it is possible and you would reject it if it was impossible? I think those are all interesting questions. Happy to hear from you, um, and keep this conversation going, but. I enjoyed this one. I think we're both pretty, neither of us are really concerned by it. Doesn't really deter me at least, but interested to hear what other people have to say and think. I agree with that 100%. Uh, If others follow up, interesting to hear that uh, as well. I think uh, this is one of those objections where, although it's not that persuasive in and of itself for either of us, you do get a touch on some common mistakes and also you know, practical challenges uh, and related related issues of, of stoic theory and practice. Yeah, awesome. I think it's, I think the, well, just to add to that, I think it's like, it's a good, I think criticisms are always a good thing to think about. And if you can't respond to a criticism, you should probably not shy away from it, but think about it some more because it really helps uh, push your own understanding. So these, these things are fun. Thanks, Gil. All right. Thanks, Michael. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. If you want to dive deeper still, search Stoa in the App Store or Play Store for a complete app with routines, meditations, and lessons designed to help people become more stoic. And I'd also like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. You can find more of his work at ancientliar.com. And finally, please get in touch with us. Send a message to stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback, questions, or recommendations. Until next time.